this morning is fifth Sunday, so we have the kids in here with us, as we mentioned, and we're also uh, going to have a panel discussion. Uh, we're putting some chairs out here. Um, don't let me get in your way, Jeff. I don't want to fall off. I want you to think of a, a story from the New Testament. Um, can you put this over, over there? Can you move the podium? It's not listening to me. Okay, Pat's got it. Story from the New Testament. Jesus and uh, the disciples are on a boat in the Sea of Galilee. And a storm has broken out on the boat, or on the Sea of Galilee, and they're in a boat. And the boats from those, that time period weren't terribly large. And, uh, so, uh, and these storms are coming quite suddenly off the hills. And, uh, and the, the disciples were concerned that the boat would sink. And the reason they were concerned that the boat would sink is because the boat was going to sink. I mean, it was, it was a valid concern. It's not like they were overreacting. The boat was filling with water, and if you understand how displacement works on watercraft, if water is in it, it goes down, uh, generally. And so they were concerned. And Jesus, of course, what was he doing? He was sleeping. And uh, the issue is... Uh, the disciples didn't, didn't want to drown, and, and Jesus was tired. And the question is, why was Jesus sleeping, and why were the disciples so worried? And the reason the disciples were worried is because they didn't want to re drown. The reason Jesus was sleeping is because there was nothing to worry about. And what I wanted us to do is think about what does it mean to live in the world today where the boat's sinking? I don't know, have you noticed? Yeah. Right. And what I would argue is, this is myself as much as for you, if we're going to compare our response to the, to the way things are working in the world today, are we more like Jesus or are we more like the disciples on that occasion? Boy, now it got quiet. Now all of a sudden... We're like the disciples. Collectively, we're just losing our minds. We're just, we're so worried. We're so scared. And, and, and we're appealing to our Savior. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? The boat is sinking. And, and of course, you remember what Jesus said once they woke him up. First of all, he just calmed the storm. He's like, this is not a problem for me. And second, where's your faith? Where is your faith? And, and when we look at the world around us, that's one of the things we have to challenge ourselves is how do we as Christians looking at our situation, behave more like our Savior does than those disciples. And those disciples in the later years, once they know Jesus better, they're going to start acting quite a bit more like Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at two or three, well, three, not two or three. I guess Pat was hoping, since she's on the last one, hoping we only have time for two. We're doing all three if we're here till one, Pat. Sorry. Look at a couple of different areas in which we could challenge ourselves to... Be like Jesus uh, in our response. So let me introduce everybody and then we'll get to our topics. This is Jeff Breitler. He's uh, our associate pastor here. He looks over missions and small groups and facilities and, and all the things. <laughs> and then we have Jesse. He is a pastor of student ministries. Uh, just joined us here recently. And um, that's why he's on here because the new guy gets stuck with these kind of things. <laughs> and then Pat uh, asked to be on the pen. No, she didn't. <laughs> So uh, Pat is joining us. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at, I'm going to 
And we'll see, we're going to look at a couple of different topics. And then as we're working through these topics, you can see on the screen, there's a phone number, 541-630-3029. And if you text that number, a question or a comment, um, we have AI set up to screen. <laughs> see, some of you are freaked out already. AI, see, it's the Antichrist, anti-something. Jesus in Greek is the Yesu, AI. Um, you can text that number. Actually, Kylie Joe has that phone. And any of the, the questions that she feels are worth uh, commenting on, <laughs> she'll, uh, she'll pass those along to us. So as we're covering these topics, you can um, uh, text those into us. So uh, let me pray, and then we're going to jump into these uh, topics. We'll start with Jeff. God, we thank you. Uh, for your love for us in Christ. We pray, God, as we take a few minutes, not only to look at your word, but to think about how your word applies in specific areas of our, the life uh, that we're living now in the world, that you would use the truth of your word and the power of your spirit to give us the ability to trust you more and recognize how we can be a part of proclaiming the gospel even in a broken world. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So how can uh, Christians have peace in the world today? First area is looking at how people look at their priorities, specifically a topic that we see a lot of and we each of us interact with. What, is, what do we feel about the fact that we have a lot of people who don't have a house and, and these folks live in a lot of places? And uh, Jeff, why don't you walk us through that topic, homelessness? Yeah, homelessness. Check, 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 one, two. Can you hear me okay? So homelessness, yeah, you know, it doesn't take long to see that it affects everyone. Whether you have personally experienced it or not, or know of somebody that has experienced it, it's, um, it's prevalent. It is a complex social problem as well that affects our communities in many different ways. Homelessness isn't just someone else's issue. It's a ripple effect throughout our community. And uh, it doesn't take long to travel through our valley and see the different layers and the complexity of that. The cause of homelessness varies in most common situations uh, around economic challenges, domestic violence, family issues, chronic health conditions, substance abuse, sexual abuse, mental illness, PTSD, and the lack of affordable housing. And I'm sure there's many, many more things we can add to this list. Almost everyone knows someone who is touched by these conditions. You can see the many reasons why people are freaking out about homelessness uh, because it does have an impact. Um, we can freak out in response to how we feel. Um, we have these fleshly responses to what we're seeing and what we're experiencing or what's happening around your neighborhood or your property. Or we're also freaking out on the good end of something's got to be done as well. People are freaking out because the issues listed above cost human life, property, families, community, businesses, environment, and the mission of the church as well. It comes to a cost as well. So what does freaking about homelessness reveal, though, in the Christian's heart? I think we see the prevalence of it. We see it happening. But it also exposes a believer, a Christian's heart, and how we respond to it, how we respond about it, how we respond missionally to it as well. It also, uh, the question I have for you, too, is how should Christians view people in their circumstances? So it's not only making our heart vulnerable to what's going on, but how do we view others in their circumstance? 
Well, personal testimony in the sense of how there's an interaction with homelessness. Uh, we at staff here, uh, mostly Greg and I at times, have interaction with the homeless that come to our property. And there's a lot of brokenness that comes to a property like this because we have places where they can camp out and um, they have built in their mind that, you know, if I come to a church, I'm going to get resources, people are going to help, people are going to understand. And one time I came early here to unlock things on a Sunday morning and I noticed a, uh, a, a person sleeping out in our bushes out front. And uh, what I like to do with that, first of all, just make sure that they're alive. Because when you approach that scene, it just seems like, uh, is that a dead body? And they're completely out from whatever you know, situation that they're in. And I noticed there was just a pile of pill containers all around this person. And I was trying to get this person to awake, and it's like, excuse me, hello? Um, just to let you know, the sun's coming up. We're about ready to have some people come here. And I was wondering if you can clean up here. I'll just give you some time. If you need some water, if you need some coffee, I'll help you out. The guy just exploded in rage, in anger, to the point where he started coming towards me. I had to evacuate and get inside the building. And then all of a sudden, he's like banging on the window. So who's freaking out? He's freaking out. I'm freaking out. And uh, usually we can call the non-emergency number and have officers show up. And uh, that situation, we went from non-emergency number to emergency. And I called 911, and the dispatch can hear the banging on the door. And the dispatch was like, you know, yeah, we got to get somebody there right away. I'm like, yeah, you think? <laughs> he wants to come through this window, and it's not good for him or for me, you know. I share that story with you because there, this is a situation. And there's freaking out about it um, going on as well. What should Christians do to be able to have peace, though, and rest in regards to these situations? Sometimes it's not as dangerous as that. Sometimes it is just as simple, here's something so you can move along and, and here's some resources for you. But let's take a look at Jesus has good news for the situation. Jesus has good news for people who are freaking out about homelessness. Jesus has good news for somebody like me that was freaked out in that moment. When people consider or rehearse the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will discover that Jesus' great generosity and grace has something about this. In 2 Corinthians 8, 8 through 9, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8 through 9. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What a beautiful imagery of Jesus Christ coming out of his glory, out of his everything, to come to our level, to become poor through humility, to come into our place and do the greatest thing is to meet our greatest need, which is spiritual poverty. Outside of all of our material physical needs, the greatest need is our spiritual poverty. We need to be rescued from that because that affects our eternal existence with Jesus, uh, with Jesus Christ and God to be part of the kingdom. And without that, um, yeah, we are in trouble. We are a mess. And we can see the mess that's around us, especially through homelessness. But don't forget, at one time as Christians, you were homeless. You were homeless spiritually. You were in need of one to come in and to enter in and have that relationship with you to take you to health. 
See, the big idea I want to share with you this morning is that Jesus Christ, in his generous act of grace, made a way for Christians to have peace and rest regarding their attitude towards homelessness so that Christians will likewise view others and themselves as Jesus did. First of all, homelessness is always with us. So let's get that perspective in place. It's always been. Starting in Genesis all the way through Revelations. There's always on this side of heaven going to be poor, broken, downcast, taken advantage of because of sin. Because of what we do to each other. It says in Deuteronomy 15:11, for there I will never for there, excuse me, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. The good news I was referring to reminds Christians that these issues around homelessness on this side of heaven will always be with us due to spiritual poverty of the soul. It comes from and sin and brokenness and, and how we treat it. Just the body's breaking down. There's disabilities around this and, and hardship. It says in Luke 4.18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has atoned me to proclaim the good news to the poor. So set a, to set a liberty to those who are oppressed. These, as the... Um, I'm really messing this up. Sorry about that. Are there... I'll start over. I lost my thought here. Just a second. As there continues to be people sending towards each other and not honoring each other, we will always have the situation among us. And number two, rehearse the gospel to yourself daily. It says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. As believers, as Christians, we know what Jesus Christ has done for us. So therefore, by rehearsing that over and over, we can be reminded about how we can treat others, how we pursue others. Here's a, a quote from Milton Vincent in the, the Gospel Primer. When I see a person who are materially poor, I feel a kinship with them, for they are physically what I was spiritually when my heart was closed to Christ. Perhaps some of them are in their condition because of sin, but so was I. Such reminders instill in me a desire to show them generosity that has been lavished on me. This is not easy as believers, as Christians, to move from uh, me to we. How we can see them in the context of what Jesus Christ has done. And last of all, may we just have the ant's perspective of what it is in regards to homelessness. Even though we can have compassion, even though we can see and give them the opportunity to experience Jesus Christ, we do, though, cannot move away from the value of how good it is to work. God, when he created everything in six days, he called that good. You know, in Proverbs chapter 6, it says, go to the ant, O sluggard. Her ways be wise without having a chief, officer, or ruler. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food and harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep and sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. If possible, for the Christian that we would review and rehearse to ourselves, it is possible then that we can have peace and rest in regards to homelessness 
because of these things. When we have the perspective of God and his in great glory and perspective of what Jesus Christ, how he came out of his glory into our poverty and brought us to his riches. There is a possibility as Christians that we can move from freak out to on mission. There are men in this room that have done that for me in my life. I grew up in a low-income situation. I'm part of the statistics that I didn't even have a chance to be able to have um, healthy outcomes or healthy perspectives in, in working and in keeping a job. There were men in this congregation, they're still alive here today, there are many, that took upon themselves, we're going to have Jeff Breiler come and help us with some projects, and they took it upon themselves to mentor, to show me what it is and how wonderful it is to work. They considered the way of the ant. They valued work, and they passed it on to me. And we could do that for everyone as well. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Appreciate that. What I'm hearing in terms of priorities from Christian values, or biblical values, uh, two things you, you highlight I just wanted to touch on. To, uh, we've got, we're made in the image of God. We're called to work. Industriousness. It's kind of an old-fashioned word, but I like it. Um, that we actually experience a sense of what it's like to be made in God's image when we apply ourselves to effort and see things produced. So there's some value in that. But the conflict we have is when we see folks in our community that we, number one, get in our way, we have crime problems, we have uh, health issues, uh, and, and, and we also get concerned for our community, public safety, these kinds of things. And there's a, there's a conflict there. We say, well, this person should be engaging in industriousness and care for their needs, and, and the fact that they're not now annoys me because now uh, this person might be breaking into my home, they might be vandalizing my vehicle, or living in a public thoroughfare, which annoys me. And what I hear you saying is there's also another side of that, that when we think of, if we're on a, a scale here, we've got a, a person who's not currently housed, and we have the Lord. Where am I as an individual? I'm closer to this, and yet God reached down. And what I'm hearing you say is that really is an attitude shift. It doesn't mean we might not have other responsibilities, but I have to see where I fit. I think I probably tend to put myself a little bit further away, and it becomes easier than just to have a lot of really annoyance. Um, and, and I'm being honest, just so you know, uh, around here... Uh, when someone is on our property and we need to go engage with that person, uh, everybody looks for Jeff. They don't want me to go because they know I'm not very nice. And <laughs> like, somebody find Jeff. Well, Greg's here. No, don't send him. We want them to find the Lord. And, <laughs> and I'm working on it, all right? I'm working on it. The Lord is gracious even to guys like me. What are some other thoughts on that? Anything, uh, Pat, what do you think about what Jeff was sharing? I, I am personally really uh, convicted and challenged with the idea that God has called me to not, first of all, judge other people, but rightly assess who I am and where I would be apart from Christ. That's such a different paradigm shift when we are driving down the street and we think we're visually accosted by sites that we would not have seen 15 years ago or maybe even five years ago. But the, the idea that um, God has called us to be not just saved ourselves, but then to be the agents of love to others, that we are to love God 
and then to love others as ourselves is a, is a compelling challenge that's very difficult to really put into, into practice on a daily basis. Uh, Jeff mentioned the passage in Deuteronomy that said that the poor would always be with us. Jesus himself said that in Matthew 26, that uh, the, the poor will always be with you, but in, in the context of that passage, he's really um, contrasting the the um, social justice aspect of providing what was being lavished on him in worship uh, to be given to, um, to the poor. And Jesus said, the poor are always going to be with you. I will not always be with you. We know he's going to be always with us. In fact, he's with us when I'm seeing the, the homelessness and the, and the lostness in the world around me. And so my, my um, response to him, like the woman who was anointing him with oil at that particular occasion, is that now I worship him by loving the people around me, which is very difficult. So I, I see a great big issue that I can't handle. I can't address that. I can't fix it all. But it's interesting that Jesus didn't come and fix it all either. He didn't come as a social reformer, didn't keep him from interacting one-on-one -on -one with people to bring uh, the love of God and the transformation that the, that the gospel message would do. And so I think if, as I bring it down to, to personal, I can't fix everything. Um, I can't right all the wrongs. But I can do, as uh, was done with Jeff, come alongside one and show the love of Christ to one. Um, the other issue that's very hard for us, I think, as believers is we do want to uh, right wrongs. We do want to feed the hungry. Uh, we do want to house those who don't have houses. But we can't do it all. And one person can't do everything. But thank the Lord we live in a in a community, especially here in Medford, that there are so many resources. And, and Jeff, you know about all the resources that are available. Because when we're called to, to love others as ourselves, it doesn't mean that we are enabling them or just a doing to get them out of, my, out of the way. But I love them to the place that I want to bring them into a place of independence on their own, standing on their own two feet, and yet a dependence upon Jesus Christ. And that's sometimes beyond what I'm capable of doing in the short term. So Jeff, tell us a little bit about some of the resources that are available in Medford. Yeah, first of all, uh, some of those resources, you can always come and visit with me at the kiosk out in the lobby after the service on any given Sunday. We have some information there. But on your phone, on if you if you have uh, Apple or uh, uh, Google in the app stores, uh, download this information, 201-INFO, 211-INFO, and that's all of the uh, public resources um, that uh, local and, and regional and uh, statewide resources. Uh, so like it's kind of like that you know, info like that 511 or 611, but this one's 211. That's a good place to start. But we also have partnerships in the mission of helping, like Salvation Army, Mercy's Gate. The one I really, really see tangibly uh, that's, that's helping, especially young people, to not go towards uh, homelessness, because I don't know if you guys realize it, but there, there's an outrageous number of homeless people, uh, sorry, uh, teens that are living from couch to couch. And uh, Votech does a really good job of getting introduced to some of those teens, giving them housing, but also going through classes and training on labor kind of things with, uh, with electrical, auto, automobiles, uh, welding, uh, 
on and on it goes. And they actually moved them into work. Isn't that great? That was, a, that was a wonderful thing to break the cycles of poverty because people that are born in these family situations, they continue to pass that on. We just see these vicious cycles of that taking place, so they're, they're breaking that up. So you want to come and find out, you can see me anytime. Great. Nice try, Pat. Pat's trying to make these topics take longer so we don't get to hers. Um, not going to happen. <laughs> I, I, I mean, had a question for Jesse as well on yeah, this one. Sorry. There's just no time for your questions. Someone shared with us Romans 15, 7. It's a helpful reminder. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. One thing, though, I want to mention just before we get to Jesse is there is a place. So we want to address our heart that we accept others, that we aren't better than that in Christ we're all in the same position in need of salvation. However, there is still a place for accountability. So if someone is breaking the law, uh, is it compassionate to notify law enforcement? Yes, it is. Yeah, because sometimes many of us, the reason we started making different decisions is we were held accountable. Uh, how do you approach it when you are deciding whether or not you're going to provide something for someone? Someone uh, uh, approaches you in the grocery store, in the parking lot, or contacts you and says, uh, I need something. Uh, what I would do if you are looking for ways to approach that is, like Jeff said, get the resources we have. In our county in particular, there is any given day, uh, no one needs to miss a meal. There's uh, meals provided every single day uh, throughout our county. There's also health care that's provided. Uh, if you want to provide someone your funds, uh, you feel conviction to do that, I'm not going to get in the way of that. Uh, my opinion is, if, and I talked to a gentleman one day about this, and his argument was, if you're not eating, you're just not going you're not just finding it because there's, there's food. And, uh, and, and the way I think about this is, uh, do we contribute to the needs of our community? Yeah, uh, we pay our property taxes. And our county has provided enormous services, which I'm grateful for. And what we can do, uh, and Jeff has these all printed up on a sheet, or you can use 211. What we can do is try and get people connected with these resources. And then if someone chooses to not avail themselves of these resources, well, in my view, that's a decision they're free to make. But it doesn't require that we then fund uh, them to live without availing themselves of those resources. But as you can see, this is why Jeff is the nice one, and I'm... Uh, cold-hearted. I'm not cold-hearted. We, we need each other because <laughs> those situations like when the guy was freaking out and coming after me, we're learning too that we, we never really approach any situation by ourselves. Right. I want to encourage that is with you as well. If you want to help, do it together with people. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jesse is going to take us down the, the next road is things that make us concerned. And one of the things that's really changed uh, recently uh, in our culture, I don't know what recent is, is it used to be in terms of how I identified as a person. Whether or not I was a man or a woman was determined by uh, what the doctor said uh, on the day of my birth. And fundamentally that changed. And, and Jesse's laughing. Why is he laughing? Because he's the new guy. He gets this topic, you know. Says, if this would have been told to me at the interview, I don't know if I would have accepted uh, the job. And uh, hey, welcome to the team. So why don't you walk us through, the world's values have shifted, especially when we think about gender. So, uh, yeah, am I on? Check, check, yep. Am I on? Yep, you're on. 
I can barely hear it. So hold it a little closer uh, to your to my mouth. Okay, there you go. So uh, as far as gender confusion or gender dysphoria. Uh, is is a world that we live in. So I don't know if any of you have turned on the news or been out on the street or been anywhere. Uh, maybe you hide under a rock, that's fine. But if, if you have been out, you see that people change their genders like they change their clothes, right? So um, you get up in the morning and you go to the closet and you say, well, today I'm going to be a girl or tomorrow I'm going to be a boy. That's what's going on in the world. So if you're not aware of that, just get out a bit and you'll see that. Um, and some examples of this would be like, uh, you know, where I grew up in Modoc, like there was real cowboys, right? And then there was people that dressed like cowboys, but that didn't make them a cowboy. They couldn't ride a horse, they could, they, but they just dressed like a cowboy. So we called them, uh, we called them concrete cowboys or blacktop cowboys, right? Because they had never seen an animal. Um, the same as being an astronaut. You can pretend to be an astronaut, but that doesn't mean you've been to space, right? And so that's kind of the way I look at it is, is that you can put a, this, 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 uh, this makeup on, right? But it doesn't make you that, that gender. And so um, I would say we should have concerns, right? But I don't know that we would freak out because that's really the thing was like, should we be freaking out about this? Um, and I would say I freaked out about it a few times, right? I'm a parent as well as dealing with students. I have a child right there who's seven and I have one who's six or 14 and I have one that's almost 18. And so I've seen the wave of this gender confusion from all my kids and I've freaked out many times. I've, I've looked and said, I don't want my kids in these positions, but I don't know that Christ is saying freak out, right? Because we've had these issues since the, the start of time. Um, you know, I think that Christ takes it serious, so I, I will preface that. I, in Luke 17, 2, it says this, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea that he should cause one of these little ones to sin, right? So I think Christ does say, yeah, I take it serious. Don't lead children astray. Uh, but I don't think he's saying freak out. I got a handle, right? I'm going to handle this. Um, and so uh, we do, the thing we have that can keep us from freaking out is we have the truth, right? We have the active living truth of God, which is the word of God, right? We have it. Uh, we don't have to go searching for, for who our identity is, what our identity is, because we have it. We have the word of God that teaches us that we are, we are God's creation, right? And we're exactly what he created us to be. A few examples are there's John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except for through me. John 8, 32 says, and you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. John 16, 3 says, when the spirit of truth comes upon you, he will guide you in all the truth. And John 17, 7 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Um, these are just a few. When you look up truth, I don't know if you guys have done this, like, you know, the Google truth search, right? You get like every passage almost is about truth and God is trying to give us his truth. He's given it to us. We have it. We don't have to search for it. So that should make us getting up and putting on our gender in the morning much easier, right? Because we have the truth of who God created us to be. Um, um, yep. People, uh, so realistically, where, where people get confused, I think, primarily, is, is that the, the, where you shape who you are is formed by the communities that you surround yourself with. Um, and that's a, a pretty proven fact that if you spend all of your time with a group of people, you're going to end up looking more like that group of people than you are yourself, who you set out to be. And so, uh, why, why is this important? Well, Church and community has played such a, a, a strong point since the, the start of time, right? Uh, since Israel, like why? It, it's community driven, right? This is the community you are. These are the principles we live by. And, and that's why church is important to us. That's why we should have our kids in church. We should have it influenced by, by this body more than by the world, right? Um, and that's why Paul is so concerned that Christians keep good company. 
We tend to adopt or take the moral character of the company and the community in which we spend most of our time with. Um, see, the real problem with gender confusion is that people are confused about who they are. It's not um, anything other than they, they have yet to find their identity. It's, I would look at it as an identity crisis. And as believers, we don't have to have that, uh, that crisis because we, we know who God has created us to be, right? Um, if we live in this, this strong community where we all have the set moral characters that is the truth, right, then our, our kids will model that better than the world. Um, John 1.17 says this, um, state, uh, states, for the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Because I think the big problem is, is that we know that we have the truth as believers, right? Maybe we're not freaking out, but maybe we go the other way too much and we say, now we hate this other group of people, right? Because I think that's, that's a bigger problem, right? It might lead us to hate. It might lead us to separation from others. Uh, and that's where we have to be careful, right? If we have the truth and we have grace, like coupled with it, then that should lead us, that should compel us to a place where we have sympathy for groups of people who are lost and don't have their identity. Um, so I don't think we should freak out, but it should lead us and compel us to a place where we have sympathy and grace for others and we can lead them uh, to, to, the, to the truth, ultimately. Good. Yeah, I was thinking through that theme, how it's even parallel to what I was just talking about in regards to homelessness. And so the, the deep core issue, again, that you're, you're getting to and that, that compassion, um, I was just thinking about we have the truth, but our greatest nature, our, our selfish nature, is to always rebel against that truth. And um, I think that's where we get in trouble because even, even if I do have a pretty good... Um, uh, understanding of my identity with God, my relationship with Jesus Christ, and the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, I still wrestle with this rebellion against that. And um, I think that gets us into hot water when that takes place, especially in, in, in regards to this topic. How do you see that in regards to um, how we are uh, communicating and interacting in these relationships with uh, uh, with this uh, broken uh, sexual identity. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to wrap. So I think that, um, you know, we are, if we have the truth, right, we, we shouldn't have to struggle as much. I think there are conditions where people do struggle with that, and that's a whole nother, we could talk about that for a week. But the reality of it is, as the world is lending, they say you can do this daily. And I think we have to, we have to rebel against what the world says a little bit and say, we have the truth, right? We have been given the truth. We are, we are body believers, right, that doesn't have to, to look to the world for what truth is. We have it. Um, but then again, we should be compelled, right, to have sympathy for others, um, and reconcile them. I have a passage, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. It kind of goes with it. It says, For from now on, regard no one as from this worldly point of view. Uh, through once we regarded Christ this way, we no longer do. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself uh, in Christ, not... Uh, counting people's sins against them, and yet he committed to us the message of reconciliation, right? We, therefore, Christ's ambassadors, through God, are making his appeal through us. So we're, we're, we're called to be the people who reconcile the world back to Christ. Um, yeah. So uh, 
talking about this truth, because it's one of the questions, the truth the Bible teaches us, uh, one of the questions we got in is, is how many genders are there? And I'll, I'll take that one because I'm, I'm, I'm not good at math, so this one's an easy one. Uh, biblically, the Bible says he created us uh, in the image of God, male and female. Uh, and the Bible connects gender with your biological sex. So a person who is born biologically female, their, their gender is, is female. Now, what happens is uh, I, I and how I'm perceiving and interacting in the world can become confused, I, I guess. Uh, and, but the Bible defines, let's see, here's what's true. Uh, God has created us in his image, male and female, and our gender is uh, connected with and determined by our biological sex. And uh, so that answers the que one question, how many genders are there? And if you want to disagree with me, that's fine. Um, uh, what do I always say? Uh, you're welcome to be wrong. Um, <laughs> what I might suggest though, and this is where we get to that identity, the reality is all of us in being created in the image of God are broken, aren't we? We, even God, God has made us in his image, we're interacting with the world in a way that sin is marring. So for example, the Bible also tells us about human relationships in terms of the marriage relationship, that it's the goal, the, the point is for one man, one woman to get, be married and be monogamous, that they are together for life. And I don't know, is there anything in our culture which indicates that people struggle with monogamy? Is there... Is I think there's entire um, uh, unscripted television shows that entertain us by the fact that people don't prefer only one partner for life. So there's something about us that we experience, because sometimes we say, oh, these people, there's these other people who are experiencing brokenness in terms of how they're acting as humans. The reality, we all are experiencing that. God has called us to monogamy, one partner, and that's a struggle. You know, that requires... Uh, I mean, how do we know that that's a struggle? In the church, when you get married, we like all get together on one big day and we say, we're holding you accountable. Like, you're stuck. We were all there on that day. And there's like this, this entire ceremony that's built on us reminding each other. We call that a wedding, if you're wondering what that ceremony is. We all get together on one day. Nope, nope, you're married. We know it. We've seen it. You're not allowed. You're, you're supposed to stay together. So this is a struggle for all of us. And... Um, so someone, there, what happens is in these identities is then it creates a lot of conflict. And as Christians though, I think what I'm hearing Jesse saying, but we know the truth. And that, that can provide us clarity in a world of brokenness. Uh, just anybody can chime in. Pat is hoping we're going to run out of time. We've got lots of time, Pat. Well, I, I do want to though chime, yeah. chime in on this to connect a little bit of what Jeff mm -hmm. and, and Jesse both have said is that we should not expect the world to do anything except be confused and, and rebellious and rejecting the truth. Um, what we're called to do is to see them the way Christ sees them. They are seeking to fill a void that only Christ can fill. Right. And until we begin to allow Christ to, to see through our eyes and love with our heart, we will be freaked out. But when we yeah. see them the way he sees them as needing a savior, it's an entirely different topic. Yep. And somebody comments, one of the comments that came in, there is concern on this topic because someday, or maybe today, I don't know, we may experience some effort to infringe on our religious liberties around this topic. So what do we do? I mean, is, is that concerning? Uh, it is. 
And I think what we do, again, is we look at our Bible and say, well, how did the apostles in Christ handle the infringement of their religious liberties? They just woke up each day and say, I'm going to be faithful to the Lord today. And if somebody's going to, as Paul said, I remember when I was in Ephesus and I had to fight wild beasts. Uh, he wouldn't prefer that. It would be better if the governing authorities had not thrown him into the Colosseum. But he's also saying, if I'm going to have to do that, I'm going to do that as a believer trusting uh, my Savior. I would prefer not. Wouldn't we love it if our, our culture recognized the value of what the gospel has brought to our society? Sure. But to the degree we don't, we, don't, we still don't have to lose our minds. But somebody else asked, and I want anyone can chime, on, chime in on this, but how do we express love and concern and care for the people in our lives which see this topic differently than us. So we have family members, we have friends in our community, we have coworkers, we have employers that are uh, asking us to engage in this topic in ways uh, that maybe differ from what we understand to be true. Do you have uh, any ideas on practical ways we can engage with others? Yeah, one, one tangible practical thing is uh, is what I call is um, fire the attorney inside. You, you have this, uh, I need to do something. You need to move that to, um, I need to hear their story. Allow yourself to uh, hear everything because in that journey, um, you, it, it will be revealed to you where they're at, how they got there, what they're listening to. It's good to just kind of listen in, just get into a way where you can kind of listen. Ask questions around why they think this, why they believe that. And they can keep the conversation going. But if we come in with a, um, a strong, in a sense, uh, um, you want to kind of shut it down, it's got to be this way, just take note that that conversation will kind of end. And that relationship could end. But that, that's right out of the gate, just uh, uh, have pity in the sense that allows for uh, communication to continue. That, I would just start there. Uh, you're not a welcoming man. First of all, just like what Jesse was saying, is, is we have the truth. You don't have to worry that um, uh, they're, they're going to, that in that interaction that you're agreeing with them. You just simply might have the opportunity to be uh, uh, an opportunity for them to see Jesus Christ for who he really is. A couple of things that uh, pop into my head, just some, some things for you to think about. If somebody in your family or at your workplace want you to address them by pronouns which don't accurately reflect who they are, uh, you know, one of the things that I try to do in that situation, because uh, it happens a lot on the church staff, um, <laughs> it's terrible. Um, you can get really good at using somebody's first name always. Uh, just get really good, especially in the workplace, just get really good at using someone's first name. Uh, you say, well, what if they requested a, a first name that doesn't match their gender? Like, I'm going to just use the name they want to be used. Uh, most names today are, uh, can be used for either, either, either gender. Uh, and so uh, I, I just really target for shooting for using their first name in a professional environment or maybe even in a family situation where you have an extended family member. Uh, that way you don't... Uh, I, though, personally, uh, don't feel it's appropriate to call somebody by a gender uh, pronoun that doesn't match their actual gender because that's someone asking me to pretend like truth is not true. Uh, so that's why I'm going to stick with using someone's first name 
uh, whenever possible. Other workplaces are requiring people to put your preferred pronouns on the bottom of your email. Um, and you say, well, is that a participation in falsehood? No, because you're putting the accurate pronoun for you on the bottom of your email. So I don't find that troubling at all. If your workplace says you need to prefer put your preferred pronouns on the bottom of your email, you're not telling a lie, you're telling the truth. I'm a he, him, uh, she, her, whatever it might be. Um, and uh, now, if your conviction is, no, I don't want to be a part, part of that, uh, that charade, and I'm going to leave it off, that's fine. Uh, you know, that's your conviction. I'm not going to get in the way of that. But if, uh, if you prefer, uh, I don't think there's any problem with putting your preferred uh, pronoun on uh, the bottom of that. What was the last one? I was thinking of another one. Let me just m make sure somebody didn't have a question. Um, Okay, no, no other questions. I thought we'd have lots of questions on that for Jesse. And this is your last shot to send Jesse some really hard questions. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> um, there was something else. It was going to come to my mind uh, later. But um, one thing we, we, can, we can recognize is that, as Jeff was saying, we want to have compassion. Our attitude towards others should be one of love and compassion. Um, and it doesn't show compassion to pretend something's not true. Uh, and at times that means relationships may be strained, but uh, um, at the end of the day we have to tell the truth. And that, and that can be really, really hard. And, uh, and sometimes it can get frustrating because this seems uh, a little strange, the world we live in. So, okay, you'll have, let me double check. Nope, you're off the hook, Jesse. And Pat, we still have, oh man, so much time. In fact, I think we have more time for this topic I'm kidding. Jesse got the hard one, I think. We have world's values. We talked about homelessness, uh, world's or gender. We talked about world's priorities when it comes to homelessness. Now we're talking about world's events, especially nowadays, even today. Uh, we have significant conflict uh, in the Middle East, obviously, with um, Israel. And uh, in this, not only you're going to think specifically about. Uh, you know, the concerns the war in the Middle East uh, brings about in us, but conflict is all over that. We had this uh, shooting in Maine that is just really heartbreaking and disturbing. Uh, but in, in terms of these world events, especially the war in Israel, uh, Pat, what do you think? I get the topic of war. <laughs> um, but Greg tells me this is the easiest one of the three, so mm -hmm. here we go. <laughs> um, the interesting thing, and interesting is not the right word to use here, the provocative thing about war is that we need to understand that there has been war from the beginning of time. And the scripture tells us there will be war until Jesus comes back. There will be a final culminating war when Jesus comes back and banishes the source of conflict, which is the evil one. So it shouldn't surprise us that during our lifetime we are experiencing conflict, whether it's conflict in um, in a small environment, although a community is not a small environment, or a large-scale war. Uh, Psalm 2 addresses the an, an interesting perspective of what the world is warring with. Psalm 2 verses 1 and 2 says, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed. Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. And the response of God in verse 4, But the one enthroned in heaven laughs, and the Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger, 
and he terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decrees. What we need to understand is the conflict, whether it's interpersonal or in a, a, a small group and a family and a community and a nation in a world, ultimately comes down to the rebellion that we've talked about. The, uh, the brokenness of relationships results in conflict. The, um, the hard thing is that there's a human toll that's taken in any conflict, uh, whether it's a physical death or an emotional death when conflict arises. And so it's hard not to freak out because it's, it's hard to be hurt or to see hurt. Um, when we just look at the most recent world um, events, just in the war in Ukraine, there's estimated that there's been at least 14,000 deaths and up to 500,000 casualties in the war in Ukraine and Russia. The statistics for Israel are a little hard for, harder for me to track. I've been trying to track it for the last four days, and it has stayed at um, 8,700. It has to have escalated in the last several days. Those are just deaths that we know of. So the toll of human loss is tragic. It's one that it's, it's very difficult as a Christian not to be concerned with that, and especially as it comes closer and closer to home. So how do we as, as believers look at a fallen world that is evidenced, um, the, the fall is evidenced by the conflict that breaks out, sometimes the conflict even in my own heart, much less in, in my home or in my family, in my community, in my nation, in my world. And I think we have to come back to what Christ has promised us, what, the, what Psalm 2 tells us is that man, because of his fallen nature, is going to fight. Because we're self-centered. We want the world to revolve around us. And when it comes in conflict with others, that's what happens. So right now, today, we're looking at this war in the Middle East and thinking about how do we, how are people responding to that and, and I think through that I think there's two ways that people are freaking out. If you're believers, I think sometimes we can be freaking out because we're so caught up in the end times that this is the end time and, and am I gonna embrace that or am I wanting to push put that off and you know I'm not quite ready for that? Or what about the the people who aren't believers and they're just seeing yet another war and the the horrors of war. What, what, how do we deal with that? And I think the scripture is very clear on both of those issues. One is, we know, um, Habakkuk addresses this in Habakkuk uh, chapter 3. The, the story of Habakkuk is, why are bad people getting away with it? How can you let this happen, God? And so God says, well, let me tell you what I'm doing. Oh, if I did tell you, you wouldn't believe it, but I'm going to tell you anyway. And so he says, I'm going to judge the, the conflict in Israel by bringing in Assyria to to annihilate you. And Habakkuk says, oh, wait a minute, that's not the answer I was looking for. But in the end, what Habakkuk, what happens with Habakkuk is he begins to understand that God is sovereignly in control of this world. That God knows exactly what he's doing and his ob objective is that the whole world will know him. The, the thing that we get caught up with on this planet as redeemed 
humans, as unredeemed humans, is we get limited to what we're seeing and what we're experiencing. God has a far bigger picture for us, and that's eternity. He says what happens here is just the, the prelude to eternity. God is all about people getting to know him and, and stepping into a, a right relationship with him. And so with Habakkuk, when he finds out that uh, there's going to be utter destruction in Israel, he finally has to step back and he says, regardless of what happens in the world, I'm going to keep my eyes on you. I'm going to trust and depend upon you. And that has to be the solace that we as believers have. That as long, until Jesus comes back, there's going to be wars and there's going to be human toll and it might touch us personally. But is our confidence in this world or is our confidence in the sovereign God who is in control of everything. So with Habakkuk, it, it moved from the question of why is this happening to who is my God? And I think ultimately that has to be where we end up with as we see conflict on a small scale, on a large scale, all the way through. But when it comes specifically to Israel and to the, the believers, especially in my lifetime, who have uh, put so much emphasis on Israel being the fulfillment of God's plan and therefore ushering in the end times, we need to step back and look at the big picture uh, historically. God has said and promised the nation of Israel that one, they will exist. That's the Abrahamic covenant, uh, that they will have land, and it happens to be in Israel, a bigger land mass than they've ever personally really um, dominated. Oh, that's in the Abrahamic covenant. And that they, the nation of Israel, we will, will be a blessing to all the world. All this is Abrahamic covenant, which is irrevocable. God said, this is what is going to happen, and it's going to, to happen. We have seen Israel historically been removed from their land twice and then restored back the promise in Jeremiah that God will bring his people back to his land and that they will occupy, and in fact, God will be with them in the process. Uh, first, they were taken into captivity by Babylon. All these centuries later, Babylon is no longer the world power that it was, but Israel is still here. Then in 70 AD, Rome came in and destroyed Israel. Rome is no longer, but Israel still is. Whether or not the Israel that we know today in 19, what are we, 2023? <laughs> I, see, I was going with 1948. I, I know that's what you thought I was doing. Um, whether or not this is the Israel that we'll see uh, usher in the end times, I don't know. God, only God knows that. But I do know that God is, will protect his people, whether it's now or in another generation. Jesus addressed um, the end times in Matthew 24 and 25 when he was asked, what are going to be the signs of the end times? And it's real interesting. Jesus said, first of all, don't be deceived. Don't allow yourself to be deceived by what you're seeing or what you're hearing, but rather know I am in control. God is holding the world in a place of his, to accomplish his plan and his purpose. And in that, we can rest assured. He said, don't be deceived by what's going on. You need to know that you, there will be wars and rumors of wars. And that's just the beginning of things. There's going to be famines. There's going to be uh, natural disasters. Those are just the beginning of birth pains. What he's saying to us through Matthew 24, 25, Genesis to Revelation, is who is our God? How big is our God? Are we trusting that he truly is in control of the creation, that he 
put in place the very creation that he stepped in to redeem humanity out of, up through and ultimately will redeem even the creation that we are so rapidly destroying. But in the process, he has called us to be responsible for our lifetime. Whether or not Jesus comes back, whether the war, the conflict in Israel escalates to end times, or whether it um, do, go, goes the way of historical wars, we're going to be accountable for how we respond every day to the news and the situation that's going around us. And in the chapters of 24 and 25 of Matthew, of Matthew with Jesus' teaching, he tells parables about what we are to do. And our responsibility is to be, live faithfully, trusting the God whom we know is in control, and being good stewards of what he's called us to do, which is to pray, to pray that lives will be changed, that hearts will be open to see and know the gospel message. Pray that uh, our leaders, Timothy tells us to, we are to pray for the leaders of this world, that they would have wisdom beyond themselves and discernment, knowing that God has a plan and he has set a specific timeline for not only this thing we call time, but each nation and each people group. He has a plan for us. Do we trust him? We should rest in that confident assurance that the God who begins a work, oh, let me think, I think he began in creation, he is faithful to complete it. And he's told us in Revelation that there will be a final war, that he will come and bring peace. But during our lifetime, we need to keep our eyes and our focus on him, trusting him, praying for the salvation of the world, praying for the leaders that are making decisions that have a, a great toll in human life, praying that those individuals will step into an eternity with Christ Jesus, not separated from him. In the process, in the process, we need to understand that he's teaching us a lesson as well. He has, from the beginning of time, allowed us to live in a, in a fallen creation that is filled with conflict so that individually we will turn and see him as the only source of peace and the Savior for our own, on our own lives. And as we begin to see that, then our heart goes out to the rest of the world and the conflict that they find themselves in. So the, the last thing I'd just like to wrap up and think about, if you are finding yourself freaking out because of the situation either locally with um, uh, homelessness or, or gender fluency or I don't even know, fluid, whatever it is that we're doing with genders, um, or, or just the conflict. We need to know that God has equipped us to look at all of these issues through the lens of the cross of Christ Jesus. If you're freaked out, you need to be at peace because you need to come to the place of knowing Christ as your Savior so that your eternity is secured, so that you know absolutely that whatever happens in the world, you will be with Christ and he is with you now. And once you get to that place, then, then he enables you to look out at a world that is needing him and to pray and to be that intercessor for them as he's called us to do. He's called us to live faithfully and to live waiting with anticipation for the culmination, either as we see him face to face when we meet him, or we see him face to face as he comes. So it's my response, I guess. Um, I would say 
growing up was I was I'm a little older than you guys probably think, but I so there was like into Cold War, and I remember going to bed and freaking out. Like I remember really freaking out about what if there's nuclear war, right? Now I go to bed thinking, I hope that I'm either close enough where I'm completely gone or far enough away where I don't get radiation poisoning. Like, that's my thought when I go to bed. Like, I don't really care that much about it. Like, I know that these things are to come, and I I don't really freak out about it. But I do look at, like, the war in Israel as, like, I get excited. And to the point where I was almost a little excited a couple weeks ago, like, maybe this is it, right? Maybe we get to live. And, And not really freaking out. I was probably on the other end of, like, come Lord Jesus. Let's get on with it. Let's go. When's the rapture, right? And... That might not be the right response because now when I look at the news, I'm really compelled by we see two people groups of people that don't know Christ, right? And they're killing each other. And we should be compelled by, by these, these souls are eternally like condemned to hell because they don't know Christ, right? And that should lead us to a place where we should go, maybe we should be doing the work that we should today, right? And I don't know what that is. Like, I don't live in Israel, but I mean, maybe we should all move to Israel and start proclaiming Christ. I don't know what that means, right? But we need to be more compelled by the loss of salvation for these people for eternity. Um, God's got it under control. God knows what he's doing. Uh, people have been trying to kill the Jews since the start of time. That's not going to end. They, they, you know, during World War II, that was the plan is to kill the Jews. That, there was no other plan other than to annihilate them. And we see God has preserved the Jews always, right? And even to a point where he gave them a chunk of ground back where nobody thought that was going to happen. And so I think God's got that under control, right? But I think our job today is to, to lead, right? It, it, we're, we're called to make Israel jealous is what we're called to do as believers. And I think we're doing a poor job at that, right? So we need, to, we need to show the world as much like we have Christ and you want him, so we need to make him jealous for them. And so I mm. think that's um, where I'm compelled today to lean into is, is that how can we do a better job at, at, at bringing them to Christ instead of, because um, God's got that. God's got the war in control. We don't need to worry about that, right? They've got big enough weapons. We're good. We're, we don't need to worry about that stuff. He's got it under control. Uh, one person writes in and asks, should we enforce justice or just leave it to God? That, that's that question. Do, how do we engage in things when we also want to recognize God as sovereign? And what, what we need to recognize from the scripture in Romans is the Bible tells us that God is appointed to the sword to the governing authorities to hold people accountable for wrong. Now, here's the challenge with that is the governing authorities are sinful people. And the situations that require justice are very, very complicated. And so what we want to do is two things. Number one, yes, when we have the means to uh, intervene on behalf of those who are wrongly experiencing suffering, uh, as a country, as a people, we should engage with that to the degree we can, knowing that that's going to be done imperfectly. Uh, But at the end of the day, we also have to recognize God is going to make things right. So it's both. We trust God as sovereign that there are people who uh, died in Israel and there are people who are dying in Gaza that they just wanted to go to work and they just wanted to make their food and, and now they're caught in the midst of a conflict. We have to trust, even though it's very hard, that God, is, God knows every single one of those people and the right thing is going to be done so that justice uh, is always found, even though that's hard to do. Uh, and I think also we need to uh, be willing to, to trust uh, that God, is, uh, God is, is going to use all things uh, for his purposes. I think, though, as Christians, one of the things we need to be careful of, because many believers, especially in the West, are going to look at this conflict, and um, we're going to experience some sense. We're going we're gonna to choose our side. And I think we need to be careful that our, that our hearts are broken for the loss of life, 
and that, uh, as Jesse has indicated, the, the heartbreaking thing is many people don't know the Lord, and we need to do what we can to introduce them uh, to the Savior. All right, um, Pat took so much time, Jeff. I know Jeff had. Uh, go ahead. You get a quick one. Just because. No, no. Go ahead. Missions is the. Yeah. Go ahead. The missional response, though, too, mm -hmm. is consider the believers, the church that is in Israel and in Palestine. Consider them. Research them. Hear how they are handling. They have every reason to freak out. Consider it. Watch how they respond in regards mm -hmm. to justice and mercy. In fact, it's kind of built into their, their livelihood. Um, justice and mercy, it's, it's in front of them all the time. Mm -hmm. Can we thank our panelists? I appreciate it. Good job. And uh, also, hey, let's thank the kids. The kids made it. You made it. Like, good job, kids. You did it. Yeah, that's right. Wake up. It's time uh, to go. Uh, the coloring sheets have long been uh, finished. Uh, let me, well, we stand up and we'll close in prayer. God, we thank you for the joy it is to know you, and we thank you, God, that we can rest in you. We recognize, God, that in our doubt and in our fear and in our questions, we allow our heart to be filled with anxiety and anger and frustration, and we pray, God, that you would make us those who are so confident in the truth of the gospel and rest in our Savior to such a degree that the world around us can be spinning out of control and we can sleep well at night. So God, we give those thanks to you. Make us those who trust you. And we can't wait till you return. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Have a great week.